Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. The World Cup is right around the corner. And don't forget, Soccer 90 is the best place to get all your U.S. national team gear. Jerseys, scarves, man, they got the whole collection. All, the whole World Cup group, 14 different nations represented at Soccer 90. to be ready for any game you want, any game you want to support, any team you want to support. And remember, as a listener to this podcast, you get 20% off when you use the code Third Degree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode 183, the final episode of the 2022 FC Dallas season. As they made it way further than I think anybody expected, they got all the way to the conference semifinal and unfortunately lost to Austin 2-1. to one. Hi, I'm Peter. Hi, Dan. How are you feeling these days? Yeah, I'm devastated. I mean, there was a huge rivalry game on Sunday, and and we and we blew it. We shit the bed. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Luton at Watford. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and there's the jolly laughter of your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Since the season ended, allow me just a moment to pimp the Patreon service. If you guys have enjoyed our coverage this year, please support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash third degree. What do you what cool stuff do you get for being a payer of Patreonage? Well, we follow the PBS method, which is where if you like what we do, please support us. But um, I do some um, every so often, maybe a couple times a week, of what I call a little third degree burn, which is almost like a mini pod, anywhere from like two to eight minutes long on a typical topic, perhaps not super mainstream but slightly off axis topics uh for the burn fc dallas nerds because we have a main podcast to fill up with regular sort of content and then um if you support at a certain level you can get access to the discord which is a very like-minded community of uh fc dallas fans don't forget some of those third degree burns are like and ask me anything you, you you do take requests that's true yeah you can submit questions if you're a patron and i will answer them for you on the burn if it's a question i think is worth answering of course and the Discord is the home of the most curious yes. of the FC Dallas yeah. curious. The fanest of the fans, people that like what we do and like the team. And uh, it's a very good community. I think it's quite nice in there. It's the very best. I love it every day. Okay, well, here we are. I don't know what we want to touch on first. Do we want to talk about the game? Do we want to talk about the scenes? Do we want to talk about the noise? Um, I... I don't know. Buzz, Dan, where do you guys want to go from here? Uh, game for me. Game for you. Okay. Well, you're the leader. Let's go with the game. I There are two parts to this game, Buzz, that uh, I thought were fascinating because they all go back to things that we began to talk about on this podcast when Nico became the coach at the beginning of this season. And as the season kind of began to reveal itself... Part one of that is the surprise that Josh Wolf was willing to change his tactics at home to figure out a better way to beat Dallas, something they hadn't been able to do yet. But the other part of it is going back to the very beginning and the questions of whether or not playing a false nine with Jesus was just too much for such a young team. And I think both of those things are really the most telling aspects of the defeat in Austin on Sunday night. 
Yeah, I think the the question about the false nine with Jesus um, comes up because of his slight drought at the end of the season and because of the lack of effectiveness in the in this particular playoff game, which is 100% um, down to Josh Walsh's tactic, which for me was the number one takeaway from the whole game. Yep. Was uh, Austin plays all year a very specific style of play. Um, they have always played the same way. It's been a very offensive method and, and they've given up lots of goals, but they've always outscored the amount of goals they've given up. Well, from the from early in the season, when we started seeing the one or two occasions where FC Dallas played against a team that used a low block and how ineffective it was, we we speculated, and you for sure did, Peter. I think you may have even mentioned this first. Is why in the world does everybody not do this? Well, they did. They changed the way they played in order to implement a low block against FC Dallas. Now, it wasn't the whole game, but they it was would, really kind of a mid block at the beginning. It, wasn't it, it was. Well, Austin likes to high press. Yeah. So they, they want to high press you and ordinarily they would retreat back down the field and sort of set up into a mid block and then defend from there. Well, in this case, once they high press and dropped into that mid block, the minute Dallas sort of reached them and got to midfield, they just kept dropping and kept dropping and kept dropping. So the longer Dallas would have possession, the more Austin would sit in this low block. Now, possession in the game was relatively even, but Dallas on paper had a little bit more, which just shows you that Austin was in this low block for enough periods of time. And in particular, anytime Dallas got anywhere into the offensive half, offensive third, they went into this shape and it just completely stymied FC Dallas, just as the low block has every time they've played one. The most common teams to use this that the Dallas plays frequently are Nashville and Minnesota. And we've seen over the last few months that particularly being a problem. So 100% great tactical coaching, awesome move by Josh Wolf. Definitely Dallas still does not have an answer for how to break down a low block. You know, Nico, um, when, when I asked him one question in the post, the post conference midweek, he went like 15 minutes talking about all the things we've talked about on this podcast. One of which was all the ways you can break down a low block. He talked about all of them. They're well aware of all of them. They just don't right now have much luck executing them and making it happen. So it's obviously to me going forward that this will be a key thing in terms of this coach is figuring out how to handle that problem because now more and more teams are going to do this. And of course you have to be a good enough coach and have a good enough team to be able to do this, to change your tactical style. But Wolf made it work and full credit to him. You know, for me, this thing, this one thing is what won the game for Austin, you still got to play it, but this is the this move is what finally got them a win over FC Dallas and basically won this game for them. Is this one particular move? Dan, you are and you were our intrepid reporter on the scene at the game. Uh, do you have any other different or similar perspectives on what you witnessed Sunday night? I think I, that's that's it. It was uh, yeah, both teams keeping it fairly close and then uh, FC Dallas has a horror of three minutes and the left trying to trying to chase the game um, you know there was definitely a lot of frustration after the game of we knew what we had to do and we just didn't do it uh, talking about you know being too passive in possession worrying too much about keeping the ball rather than actually trying to advance upfield uh, a lot of the, the Lucci ball story in a way uh, which was kind of ironic because the second half they then tried to kind of embrace Lucci ball more so 
you know, but but with more use of possession. So, um, yeah, no, it was a tough night. Credit to Austin; they they did they did the thing. Josh Wolf, uh, especially after last year, that game where they kept trying to pass out the back, and every time Dallas just counter pressed and stole the ball and scored. Uh, you know, they, they they kind of burned themselves enough time that they've uh, become a little less stubborn. Uh, Dallas could not handle. Well, it wasn't even it wasn't even Jute. It was Juicy uh, and and Fagundes. They just had no answer for whatsoever. They just kind of sat happily between uh, Faku and the defense and just just had their way with them. Buzz, how much on a scale of one to ten? Did the team miss Paxton on Sunday night? Oh, uh, 9.5. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you can look at, for me, the telling flavor was, uh, and I mentioned this in my um, three things, was that uh, I, I, I was on board with the idea that Brandon Servanian was the proper choice to replace Paxton Pomacall in this scenario. There are certain qualities that Seeking and Stubbling has, but when you get to this crunch time playoffs, Brandon's the more veteran player you know, the more linking style, pure linking passer kind of player. I bought that. But the the, the problem was, and the problem when, as I analyzed the game was that Brandon is a, a reactionary player uh, like Facundo is. And so two reactionary players in midfield next to each other for me was part of the problem with the first half and how flat and unenergetic it was. In hindsight, Siki instead of Brandon would have provided, I think, more of that passion energy or once you wanted Brandon, then go to Edwin because Edwin is a more energetic, more movement game than Facundo. Whatever you think of their other qualities, Facundo is more static and more stay at home. And Edwin moves more side to side, is better at moving away from pressure with the ball. You know, Facundo is a better progressive passer, but Edwin's a better progressive dribbler. So there's an energy component to Edwin's game. So one of those other changes I think would have helped. But you can look at how passive and flat FC Dallas was for me for the whole first half and even into the second half uh, until Paxton came in. And Nanu too, I should say that when he came in also, there was an, he brought something as well. But most of it for me was Paxton who just picked up the... It's even sometimes hard to put your finger on exactly what he's doing except that his positive energy and vibe and movement lifts everything and makes everything pop and that was such a difference from the first half to when he came in. And, and I think it was very telling in, uh, how much of a factor he is, even if you can't point it out in stats. Oh, I think you can look at uh, the performances around him. Alan Velasco was absolutely crap for 60 minutes. Paxton comes on and suddenly there's Alan Velasco that we knew a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I was kind of surprised. Uh, I don't know how much of it came across on the broadcast, but Frank O'Hara's work off the ball uh, is absolutely. I mean, it's normally very good, but it was insane. He was trying to drag the team into life himself. Yeah. Unfortunately, then he got the ball, and that was a problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was kind of at least good to see someone try to spark something. It's uh, you know, it's funny. We've talked a lot about Frank O'Hara and the frustration of him being slower than a uh, you know. Uh, Off the ball, he's actually not that slow. It's weird. Well, yes, I know, but I also <laughs> was uh, yelling at the television on the one, you know, the few times that he got balls on the trot up the line. I like, do not get in a foot race. Just hold the ball and let everybody else get to you and help. But no, he would try to beat somebody and and lose the ball. But the reason why I find that 
a bit interesting goes back to our conversations about this, which is, you know, the thing that held Dallas up multiple times this season and ultimately in this game is this whole thing about not trying, not being able to break past a mid block or through a low block and Nico's inability to have a solution for that. And then really the number one problem that he, that is created for him is the lack of, that number nine, that big bodied guy that can be in the box and help do those things. And Hara's really not it because he's just too slow uh, to do it. And when you think about all of the problems this team has had, it's weird how we're still, after all these years, complaining about getting a, a, a prototypical number nine. Yeah, I don't think I would ever say that Frank O'Hara doesn't know how to play. The dude clearly knows how to play. Like absolutely, it, yeah. If, if if I if that if I said yeah. that or no, that no, came no. across that way, I didn't mean it that no, way. No, you didn't. You didn't say that. I, I'm just extrapolating. You know, some thoughts. I, I think back to when how desperate Oscar Pereja was for a nine. And imagine if you could have pried Frank O'Hara loose from the age of 26 to 29 to lead Oscar Pereja's teams. Yeah. How how good that team would have been, considering how desperate he was for a real nine. It's the problem with Frank O'Hara is just that at 33, he just can't move anymore. You know, he's been a great professional once he now, admittedly, at the very beginning, he was a little bit holier than thou crap and people didn't like so much. But once he bought in, he's been a consummate pro. It's just an age factor, you know, and, and you're correct that one of the ways to break down a low block is a Blas Perez in the box style post up nine Dallas doesn't have a guy that can do that. So there that, that eliminates one of the three ways that you can three or four ways you can break down a low block. And there still is not a guy and there has not been a guy like that for a long, long time, probably since Bloss left actually. Well, the, I'm sorry, Dan, just real quick. The, and the other part of that that's problematic is, is it prevents them from being able to use Jesus in his primary and best position. Yeah, I've said all along that an off striker for him is the better position if you have a nine, but it can't be with Frank O'Hara. That's not Franco's too static. He would clog all the holes that would be created, you know, but mm-hmm. um, it, you would have to change a lot of other things in the team to make it work. It would take, you know, six or seven different players because you have to take Paul Ariel off the field for one. You'd have to, you don't have outside backs that could do it well enough up and down the line. Neither Farfan or, or Tumasi can play the kind of outside back you'd need to play like a narrow diamond. I mean, there's just not as much. You'd have to go more of a three, five, two look, which is certainly viable as well. But again, that's changing a whole lot of stuff. You know, it, it'd be better if you could just have a nine type solution that you could just sub in for Jesus when you needed to, when you needed to go pure post up kind of play. I was going to say, I, I, kind of, I think Frank O'Hara physically could not not be the post up in the box but the post up guy to bring jesus in uh you know he has that tendency to go out wide um and then he'll try to turn the fullback instead of just turning his body shielding it right in the play get just you know getting that time for jesus to make the run kind of into the box and then just whip it in yourself uh, I think that that's kind of the hallmark of the you know the big horrible bastard who's a bit quick and flicks everything on the kind of like uh, you know the 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 older style ten that was really a an off striker like we want to see Jesus as you know Hara can win headers he can hold up the ball he can make space he just is a bit stubborn. He wants to try and turn the player. He wants to beat them instead of just 
hey, you've already done the hard work. Now let your let your teammates take over. Uh, the other thing I wanted, the other thing about the game was that just absolutely disastrous three minute window just before the the thirty minute mark of the game. And it is kind of ironic that this being the team that was one of the best defenses in the league gave up two really uh, weird goals. The the corner kick, I don't remember the circumstance. I, I I think I remember. Was it a corner kick or was it a free kick? It's a corner. From, it was yeah. a corner, and it came off of Velasco Brandon. and went out. Brasvania. Oh. Is that what it was? Okay. But when you go back and rewatch the goal, it must pass six. Dallas players before it lands to G, uh, DJ, who I just, you know, finishes it okay, great, they score. But we just hadn't seen that a lot this year. I mean, it was weird because the, the ball was going straight to, uh, I, I was perfectly in line with it, with the way the press box is kind of at that end of the stadium. The ball was going to uh, to Jose, absolutely. So he's set, he's ready to clear it. Brandon gets that tiny little nick on it. Jose cannot adjust. The other defenders are kind of, I don't even know what they're doing. And then you just see Emma kind of walk off of uh, Jita and, and then Matt has to kind of try and scramble back to cover. And you're just like, this is basics. It's just communication. And, you know, they were just too busy ball watching. You know, Dallas had only given up two goals in a game to their opponent twice since the start of July, the 2-2 tie against Houston and the 4-0 loss at Nashville uh, the last times. And that's unbelievable how good they had been at at keeping the, you know, at, at defending. But then there's that moment three minutes later after giving up the, uh, the, the first goal, Velasco has a really poor touch at midfield. Drusi gets a running start at the top of the box, gets, you know, 10-yard run, and he goes one-on-one straight up on Martinez, and we know what happens in that situation. Well, how many times have we talked about, you know, special talismatic players doing special moments in games? And, you know, Dallas was already flat, and then they gave up uh, a poor goal off of a corner, so they were even more flat and intimidated. And mistakes are made and, and special players rise to the occasion and, and win games for you. And Jerusi is their MVP. He's an outright league MVP candidate. You know, mm-hmm. this is the kind of player that Dallas does not yet have. Uh, I'm hopeful that Jesus can be this guy. He's not quite there yet. Um, I, Areola doesn't quite have this level. Um, Legette doesn't quite have this level. Paxton doesn't quite have this level. You know, maybe down the line, Alan Velasco could be a guy like this. You know, so there, there's this typical FC Dallas mentality of we're going to buy young and develop guys to be like this rather than just go buy a guy like this. And maybe it'll change as we go forward. But um, that that was one of those moments where I just sat and admired in a way having a guy that's like that, you know, because it's, it really is a special player that can do special things. And, and it, it comes down to, in the end for me, like that sequence is, there was a quote from Estevez after the game. I, I'm not sure where it came from. It may have even been Dan that got this one that says that he said, it's the first time I've noticed players feeling a sense of purpose Sorry, excuse me. Sense of pressure, I can read, that made them make the wrong decisions. So even though he leaned into veterans, he still had guys that weren't there, according to him, and ready for the moment and made poor decisions under pressure. So um, that's what we talk about all the time. It's what we talk about the differences between 
FC Dallas and the very top real legitimate contending MLS Cup contending teams we've talked about. There's just Dallas is still just a step behind, and that's what they're missing is a guy like that. So halftime's I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. I was gonna say it's definitely a you know a common thing in the sport. Players in that position playing the occasion rather than the team in front of them. Uh you know, but yeah, I mean the the you know, for a team where most of them I mean, you've had a fair bit of change since the last playoff run. The last, you know, they can only grow more experience. They can only, you know, have more exposure to this these high-pressure situations. Uh, and, that, I mean, that's ultimately we talk about this is year one of a five-year cycle. It's a process. Uh, they said 17 times in that press conference. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's that that's kind of the, the the good and the bad of young players is like we saw in Portland a couple of years ago they don't know when they're beat unfortunately sometimes they don't know how to how to win in those how to thrive in those situations either were you surprised at how quiet Leggett was over the course of this game buzz no I don't think so um I I think that he's a Oh, really good player, but um, you know they have some guys in that defensive midfield ring in particular who is really good. You know, and if you're missing Paxton, you're you're missing the other guy that from that midfield that can break forward. Uh, Brandon does not really do that as much. He passes forward. He doesn't really break forward. So you can sort of focus your attention on Legette in terms of making those runs into those dangerous spots. You know, underneath Jesus. So it's not a surprise they were able to key on that, you know. Um, I, I think Legette's a very good player, and I think when Dallas has all its pieces, he specifically he and Paxton together are pretty good because then you get to watch both of them. Hmm. But without it, it's just too easy to key on the one guy. I mean, he's not Drusy, you know, so it's not he's not that level, but he's really good. It's just there's a difference. So the halftime changes Nico made did seem to work for long stretches of the second half. You know, obviously they scored the goal to to make it 2-1 and they did have opportunities uh, or at least near opportunities as as the second half went on to tie the game. So did Austin, but it, they were certainly getting much further along with the changes with Har in there. Uh, and taking off a midfielder and moving Jesus back a little bit deeper into play. But ultimately, at the end of the game, I thought it was really frustrating. And I do think this is one of uh, Jesus's flaws is here we are with like a minute left in injury time. And that little weird sequence that happens back deep in Dallas's deep corner where they get a foul and him and Le- I think it's him, Legette and Paxton can't figure out how to restart play. Oh, thank you. That pissed me off so much. <laughs> and, and, and I, like many people were screaming at the television. Why is my 18 goals, 18 goals score, you know, a hundred yards deep and not all the way up at the front along Hara and everybody else trying to, I, I my point is this. I think Jesus, especially these days, is a, um, hey, if the rest of you can't do this, I'll do it for you kind of guy. And I just don't think he always understands that that doesn't help as much as I think he thinks it's helping. 
Yeah. In particular, once you bring in Frank O'Hara and then he thinks he's a midfielder, then he wants to do everything in the midfield. He comes back, he takes all the set plays and he's wants to try and make all these penetrating passes. He's trying to be the number 10 that he was last year, basically. Um, and in particular, if Facundo is in there, um, he comes way back and tries to sit and play next to Facundo, you know, which is weird because Facundo is actually a better progressive passer than Edwin. So I don't know why he doesn't do it as much with Edwin, maybe because Edwin moves more. But every time Facundo plays with him, Jesus comes back and sits like right next to him and tries to sling these passes like out wide to these breaking players, none of whom are breaking because Velasco wants the ball at his feet so he can dribble that guys. Paul's trying to get behind and Har is kind of posting up. So it's like no one's really breaking. So it all kind of, for me, it all kind of comes apart, you know, because Jesus doesn't stay up underneath Franco in the danger spot, which is where you want him to stay. You know, you don't want him coming back like that. And, and I, I agree with you, Peter, 100% that he's trying to do too much. And some of that, I think, is maturity level. You know, he's trying to overcompensate. You need to be able to trust your teammates a little bit. You know, and part of that, too, maybe that he just doesn't. That, you know, some of the options coming in are not necessarily as good as the ones that are starting. And he's trying to overcompensate. Sometimes in those situations, you just need a shout from the bench. You know, that free kick, that should have been Martin Paz. If he can't get back 55 yards in the time they can move the ball 100 yards, there's something wrong. If you go 3-1 down in the last minute of injury time, who cares? You've lost the game anyway. But yeah, like like Peter said, your 18-goal striker is the furthest player back. He passes it to your creative playmaker, who then promptly passes it back to Ferreira close to the halfway line. And by that time, Austin clears out and there's no, you know, you you can't create a chance from that situation. It was a lot of immaturity. Uh, And again, we've known this from the beginning and a lot of there were aspects of this game that are reflective of all the things that we talked about before the season started, which is the the youth of this roster and the immaturity of the roster. And I thought that was largely reflected in the performance of the game. I think, but th- th- those those specific situations we we talked about um, Lucci overcoaching the team. You've got a lot of experience on the bench. If it's not Nico, it's one of the you know the guys that have got twenty plus years coaching experience in La Liga. Or if it's not, you've got uh, Drew's been an MLS bench coach for over a decade. You know, someone at that point has got to be shouting, "Come on, guys! Like, get your head screwed on, striker in the box." Stop faffing about when you've got all the 30 seconds of injury time left. Um, it, you know. I like faffing about. That's a very English-sounding yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a quality one, yeah. yeah. I like that. I'm going to tell my wife, I don't want to faff about. Let's get this over with. I'm talking about like chores or something. Oh, oh I was going to say, I don't know if uh, they might recategorize us on uh, on some of the podcast services. This, right? Yeah. Adult-only content. <laughs> we'll be getting like Bluetooth adverts and all I, sorts. I talked about Carabao penises on the kick around on Tuesday, so I'm you know I'm already in that mode. Oh, please about to play Minnesota again? <laughs> no, Carabao. Oh, never mind. Yeah, uh, it was it was a bummer all the way around, uh, and I don't know if you. I mean, did anybody have a good game? Sunday just pause. Yeah, Paws had a good game. Hedges had a good game. Hedges was the only reason it wasn't 4 0 in the first half. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I, I do want to cycle back, though. Do you remember the, the week before we, I said that at this point you're playing with house money? 
Yeah. You know, you got in the playoffs, which was what we thought at the beginning of the year wasn't necessarily on the cards automatically. Well, not Peter. Peter thought, but uh, so you're ahead of schedule on that. You got a home game. That's ahead of schedule. And you won a home game. That's ahead of schedule. So it was house money and it would have been a great bonus if they'd have won this game. But it's not to me. It doesn't undermine the fact that this was a phenomenal season overall. And I think that, you know, if they'd have won it, that would have been great. But it's not doesn't change my valuation that they are still in that tier right below the real cup challengers in this league. I'm sure in an episode of this podcast to come here in the in the next week or two or three or whatever, there'll be a lot of uh, uh, going through the roster and figuring out. I know you've already written a couple of things on your website, Buzz, yeah. thirddegree.net, about you know contract situations, uh, what you could do to change the team or improve the team. I'm sure we'll do that here on the podcast. Um, but I, I think the I, I just want to... I want to reiterate that I feel like this is for me, and I don't know how either one of you feel about this. This is easily a top three most enjoyable season in this club's history for me, and that goes all the way back to '97. Um, and and I, I I just so many things both on and off the field were surprisingly good things. Many of them are things that we've all been wanting for a really long time. Um, you know, the players they got, the money they spent, the stuff they did off the field, the, the, the way the atmosphere in the stadium changed. I hate the way this season ended, mostly because it allowed Austin to get its first win in this most critical of games. Mm. Um, and, and the budding rivalry between the two clubs, I do enjoy that aspect of it and more about Austin here in a minute. But I, I really want everybody listening to this podcast to realize that Buzz, you and me have been here since day one. Dan, oh, yeah. not much longer than after that. This was an outstanding season. I've only been there 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're trying to give you love. Um, I think, I, I don't think I can go top three. I can go top five conversation for sure. But I, I think that the uh, enjoyment level is buoyed by the fact that we had such low expectations coming in. So everything was always, the whole season was above uh, expectation. And that of course always makes for a more enjoyable process. And specifically, uh, what I liked was that all, most of the times where we identified a problem, there would, within a game or two, come a solution. And that there was a proactiveness about the team the whole time. And that, that always made it really fun. Issue, reaction, issue, reaction. Boy, this is going great. It's getting better. It's getting better. A little stumble. Okay, there we found a solution. We're getting better. So uh, that whole time, it was uh, just a joy, you know? It was funny. Uh, we spent a lot of this season making fun of and thinking that Nanu was a total waste of time. But you know what? Nanu actually proved to uh, be have value at the end of the at this these last two games in particular, and it was his ability to run the yes. line and get into the attack, which is a massive part of the game that uh, Ima is missing. Um, and I'm not saying they should keep Nanu, but I just wanted to yeah. say for all the crap I've given him over the course of the season, I did appreciate his. He really looked like he was putting out an effort and was really trying and carrying these last two games. And I thought was, you know, near effective and for, for, you know, the whatever 60 minutes he got to put in over the course of the two games. Yeah, he did not fake an injury to get out of a game. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely found a way to use him as a useful tool. He 100% became a attacking threat at either outside back off the bench late in the game. When you're trying to chase a game, trying to get a goal, he was a tool that you could use to replace either guy. Um, and that's that's a positive. Uh, you know, 
whether to keep or not, I think we'll save for another podcast. But, um, you know, in the end, he has a offensive quality that Ima used to have, but doesn't these days. I don't uh, I, why that may be is a, probably a longer conversation, but um, certainly there was a value to him down the stretch in terms of being on the bench and being a tool, or else they wouldn't have kept doing it. They would have brought you know, a Benny Register and or, or a Khalil Abdul-Makur or Eddie Munjama or somebody else if he wasn't providing something. Um, Velasco, does anybody, did anybody get an answer as to why Velasco was subbed out at the end of the game when they were needing a goal? Sometimes a sub is just a sub, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm chasing a game. I've got an offensive guy on the bench and who can I bring in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean you don't have pace. Yeah. Freshness, energy, ball recovery, dribbling forward. You know, if, if you feel like a guy you have on the field is tailing off and you're trying to get a game back, sometimes fresh legs are more important than anything else. And it's like, you look over, who have I got? Who can I, who have I not replaced yet? You know, yeah. it's as simple as that. Okay. I'm going to take out Jesus, you know, Har had subbed in, Paxton had subbed in, Anna had subbed in, O'Brien was coming in. It's like, who else? You just roll the dice, you know? Hmm. All right. Well, anything else about the game itself that we want to discuss before we move on to other matters? Not the game on the field specifically, but um, yeah, that's what the, I mean. Anything about the game, like the the, the actual on the pitch thing? We can oh, talk okay. about the atmosphere and everything else, and the 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 other stuff here in a second. I just want to make sure we're covering all the on the field questions or reflections that we wanted to have about it. I think that was about it. Okay. Well, Dan, you were there. Uh, I think uh, ESPN was absolutely over the moon about the scenes that they've created in Austin. It looked fantastic on TV. I had a lot of people comment that it, if they didn't watch the entire game, um, they watched. They happened to flip over and see it and were really, really freaked out about the scenes there um, and, and the atmosphere. So, um, Dan, you were on the scene. Why don't you uh, give us your synopsis of all of that? Yeah, uh, I think mean, first thing, um, the FC Dallas support was incredible. Um, they obviously only had the 130 tickets, but um, and I'm not sure how much the crowd mics would have picked this up on the broadcast, but that first 20 minutes before Austin scored, you know, they weren't really making a whole lot of noise, and maybe it was because I was dead opposite the, the away supporters, but uh, even with that instrument band, they brought in a bunch of those little crappy you know, there's inflatable bam bam sticks and you could hear them loud and clear. Um I really, really when they announced the whole thing about the instrument deal, I almost scrambled to try to figure out if I could get a bulk order of kick around um kazoos <laughs> uh shipped very quickly, but it was expensive and it didn't have enough time to make it happen because I thought that would have been I don't would they have allowed them to get in with kazoos? Stick in your I don't well you I mean if you go you go through metal detectors and stuff, so probably not. Yeah. Aren't mm. they plastic? But, well, some of them, but Yeah, I would have made I, sure I, they don't were know. I don't I was I, I wasn't at the same entrance, so I don't know what the away fans went through. Like those bam bam things are perfect because they they're flat packed and a piece of plastic goes in your pocket. Yeah. And then you just inflate them yourself, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you telling your, no, no. your experience. Go ahead. Yeah, um, so there, um, there were also there was little pockets of red everywhere in that stadium. Um, it was really surprising to see the number of 
um, people who'd like got the two hundred dollar Seat Geek tickets uh, in the in the home sections. That was that was very cool. Um, you know that that was uh, you know I, I know you you loved that stadium. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. Um, the worst. I'll start with the worst thing. Worst thing for me, I, I, I'm really big on, you know when you drive towards a stadium and you you see it in the distance and it's, you know, Cowboy Stadium, perfect example. It's the most majestic thing as you're driving up to it. It's huge. It's You can see it halfway across the city. Um, You know, I saw Top Golf and I was like, okay, near the domain stadium's going to be right next to it. And I see this like weird, awkward looking thing sticking out of Top Golf and I was like, Oh shit! That's the roof of the stadium, isn't it? That's ugly. Well, it's it's essentially, and I and I let me say this: I don't know why you think I love the stadium. I don't love the stadium. I I love the atmosphere inside the stadium, uh, no matter how it's created. I, I the stadium to me is a basic, very very generic open air stadium that just happens to have four airplane wings over the top of it. Yeah, it it reminded me of uh, Wigan Athletic. Yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible stadium, but it's not this weird, you know, temple that everybody... I mean, I think really when it comes down to the stadium, Dan, more people are about the atmosphere and the scenes going on inside of it than the actual architecture and the structure itself. Okay. I would say there's uh, one thing. So the where the press box is, you have to go up for this, like, party deck. That is very cool. That would be awesome in any stadium. It beats, like... Uh, and Austin has the same problem as as FC Dallas, where people just go to the concession stands because you can see from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, not so much in the lower tier, but the upper tier of that uh, the side that the supporters section on half the game that was maybe sixty percent full because people were at the concession stands the whole time. Um, you know that it looked cool. With, uh, I mean, the cameras were obviously not facing that way but uh there's this you know great little terrace bar on that side um and the coolest thing i think i've ever seen in a stadium potentially the field club there has this little bar that um you have to go through to get to like the the locker rooms and it is just like the foundation room in the house of blues it is you know like the whole quintessential austin thing it's just a shame that maybe 200 people ever are going to actually see that thing it's only for the hoidiest of the toity <laughs> exactly that yeah. that is something that was incredibly cool um how was yeah, the press I mean, box i didn't I, I i never got up there when i was there last year it's honestly the worst one i've ever been in it actually is worse than the cotton bowl wow no way seriously it, it was a complete afterthought Really? Is it yeah. because I, of its position or light? Uh, so the, the position the, is not ideal, but I get it. Um, I sent a picture in, in our group me chat. They had these huge bars across the window. So unless you sat on the very front row, uh, you um, obstructed you, like, I saw maybe 30% of the pitch. The guy sitting next to me, some, I don't know, he was a broadcaster for Sin, one of the Sinclair channels, was joking like, oh, we're going to have sore necks by the end of the game. Um, hmm. And then there's this third row that you definitely wouldn't be able to see anything from. And yeah, honestly, the the uh, since they actually redid the, the the facilities at Dallas, those are way better. It's it's funny, um, but yeah, um, 
I guess when you're trying to create a fan atmosphere, that that really is the very last thing on your mind. But you know, they've got marble staircases everywhere and the world's slowest elevators. Weirdly, um, <laughs> I I did like um, the way the stadium's constructed in that. You know, you know how FC Dallas uh, uh, Toyota Stadium it's it's a complete bowl. All of the seats are below ground level, which unfortunately, combined with that beige stucco on the outside, just makes it look like a Costco with really fancy lights. Um, you know, the fact that they do have this, they do have the stadium bowl, and then they have the tier above as well. Just it it just makes it feel like a real stadium. Yeah, it does. It's a yeah. it's a, it's. Perfectly cool. It's not as nice as some of the uh, newer MLS stadiums that have come just before or just after it, but it is uh, a certainly, again, I think it's all about the atmosphere and the scene that are going on in there, and they and that certainly was a uh, an Austin home crowd that were way beyond excited about getting their first win against their against their big brother. They did very well with the, uh, I think, the acoustics of that place, how, the way they, they did the, the roofs, because, you know, even... Even the times that visibly there wasn't a whole lot going on in the supporter section, there was still like a you know a good reverberation of noise. Whereas, you know, in Dallas, you can have that whole section cheering, and if it's windy, you you can't hear anything next to it, let alone across the the stadium. We've talked a lot about on this podcast that we do. Anybody has to give full credit to whatever. Uh, progress and changes and advancements that either Dallas or Houston have made on and off the field in the course of the last 24 months. Really, the credit needs to go to Austin for their successes because I I think it's clear that what's going on in Mm -hmm. Austin is a driver for both of the other clubs in Texas. But I do wonder um, from both of you guys, let's just say we're about to live in a universe where Austin goes to L.A. and wins in L.A., and ends up, you know, going to MLS Cup and, God forbid, win MLS Cup in year two. What is that going to mean to us? Let's just say about us as Dallas fans that have now been doing this for 27 years and have barely gotten to sniff the thing, much less actually own one, and the and the model that the Hunts have put in place for themselves. Well, I can tell you from my point of view, um, while I won't enjoy it, it won't change anything for me because I grew up in the era where there was no Division One pro soccer here. And um, my personal enjoyment comes from the fact that there is a team to go watch. You know, the fact that they haven't won something doesn't particularly bother me as much as it would if they didn't exist. So for me, it's all about survival and existence. And I so I understand why the hunts run the thing the way they do because they were the ones that held it all together in the early days. It's because of them that there's a team here at all. So it, it won't bother me in terms of like the way they run the team. I think the progress they've made this season is really exciting, but generally speaking, the, the FC Dallas is a decently good team most of the time. And my joy comes from watching that team week in and week out play soccer. It doesn't bother me that they don't win it. But I, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I don't know if you were going to say anything, Dan, but I, I think what I'm asking more about the question is is more about the model of focusing on youth because the, the reason why Austin is successful this year is because they went out and smartly found a collection of veteran players 
you know, if you go look at Steve Fenn's tableau of salaries, Dallas actually has a larger salary bill than Austin by like a million yeah. bucks or something. So I, I guess my question is more about that aspect of the mm. differences between Dallas and Austin. And and should Dallas be focusing more on the Darusis and Fagund and uh, Fagundos of the world and the and the rings of the world and less on, you know, Cervanias and et cetera, et cetera? Well, the twofold answer to that is that, um, you know, for the hunts, the priority up until this year really was figuring out how to make this thing survive economically. And the, and the Academy is the solution to that in terms of making it survive economically. So it's hard for them to go against that. But I would point to this year and the change in behavior of this team. Like there's no more play the kids around here. They went and got Leggett. They went and got Areola. Uh, Alan Velasco's young, but it's a big spend. They went and got a defensive first guy on the outside. You know, they have they went and got a goalkeeper that's a v- veteran. Mm-hmm. You know, they all of their moves and all of them that paid off were veterans. There was no, here's a kid that we're going to give 15 to 20 games to so that by the end of the season, he's going to be our starter. That didn't happen. The closest thing they have to that is Isaiah Parker, who's a GA and played the whole season with North Texas. So the play, the kids is over and that's not happening anymore. Yeah. So they, they have made that change to the more Austin like model. Now, unlike Houston and unlike Austin, other than maybe one or two guys, Dallas is able to prop up signings and draft picks with some Academy guys that have progressed. That's why they generally speaking are one of the top half of the league teams is because of that ability to underwrite the core of the roster. Houston, that's the major difference between Houston and everybody else is that Houston's Academy has given them jack poo to <laughs> use in terms of their first team. So you put a couple of bad signs with a couple of bad draft picks and you stink for a decade like they have. So, you know, Dallas has the luxury of having the extra assets come in from the Academy, but it's no longer just about that. Clearly, this coach is not an Academy first coach. You can tell 100% he ain't about playing no kids. It's very funny to me, as uh, as very English as uh, faffing about was, uh, Jack Poo's very American buzz. And I, <laughs> yeah. I love well, that. I was about to say Jack shit, and I decided not to. Yeah, we say <laughs> Jack shit. What's wrong Does anybody else take notice that we now have another season where the final four teams are all MLS version 3.0 teams, Austin, LAFC, Philadelphia, and NYCFC? Well, I would say it's about you know going out and getting stars and spending, but Philly's got such a low profile payroll, excuse me. But they have big time talismanic dudes like Gazdag, who's amazing. But like like Dallas, they prop up the core of their roster with homegrowns so that their overall payroll is less. The difference between Philly and Dallas really comes down to that guy. They have that guy, and Dallas does not yet. They're also a big system team. Sure, sure. But you have to admit that Gazag is a transcendent player. That dude is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they've also got the players to work the system, whereas it feels like – and it's funny because this has been a lot of the talk about the national team. Nico's background, obviously, being the national team is not necessarily having the players to make – you know, trying to fit a lot of square pegs and round holes to make the system work, whereas Jim Curtin, it's been a lot of – a slow build to get these few years of 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 excellence of where of those you know those those peak years where 
you have a you have a good option in every yeah. in every spot and you're not just trying to put a a nanu in or see if edwin works and if edwin's not working put a faku in well to to go back to the beginning of the season you remember all that process talk that one of the things they specifically said was that the moves we're making right now are about system fit and that's when they went out and got areola and later went out and got legit legit's you know, perfect example yeah because you didn't have that right second that, date you kind of yeah. had you know brandon could do it for five games and then be off for the next 15 Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you look at the roster construction of Austin. Um, they do have a lot of um, a, a lot of veterans, but you know, Alex Ring, he's been the perfect fit for them. Yeah, he's, he is a veteran, but as good as he was for New York City, he has been incredible for Austin. Yeah. Um, you know, they went out and got Drew C, who wasn't a particularly high profile guy. He was a, you know, a South American in Russia. Uh, he wasn't very good last year. He had five goals. They gave him that time and, and he's paid it back. And that's kind of what, you know, what you want to see maybe from Velasco and maybe Velasco can do it. Maybe Velasco also needs to be, you know, like 26 before he really <laughs> kind of hits his stride like yeah, that. Yeah, he might. I hope not, but he might. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Fagundes. Fagundes is one of those guys who has an amazing season and a terrible one. He was, he was, you know, he was decent enough for, for Austin last year. And, you know, to me, he almost shaded um, Drusy on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing when we talk about the future is remember that Velasco is, what, 20, Jesus is 22, Paxson's 22, Edwin's 22. You know, there's this core of FC Dallas that are going to progress for the next six years to the highest peaks of their game, you know, if they all stay here, of course. But, you know, when you talk about these special guys, most of them are 26, 27, 28, 29, and none of Dallas's guys are that, except for Areola, but he's not quite that tier. Yeah, I mean, if you, I think if you take away uh, Pereira, you know, I think the youngest the youngest starter would have been about would have been about twenty six. So for Austin, so you're talking about giving up a lot of a lot of experience, and yeah. you know, for some of those players, experience in these particular moments. Either one of you think Austin's got a shot? They beat LAFC in both games in the regular season. They've yeah. got a shot. Yeah, All right, sure. you three times in a row. That's the, that's the great sports cliche. You yeah, can beat a team twice, but you got to do it a third time, and you have to do it in L.A. It's much harder to do in L.A., but they definitely have a shot. I give them 25%. Okay, and the four. thing is, their whole thing has been talking about, oh, we're so unfancied, and that. Oh, this is actually man. the first game where they're the underdog. I, I could go on forever about that <laughs> stupid... Oh, they, they are, they are incredibly insufferable, and that's, that's the part oh. that is most annoying about austin fc um you know you like you had some idiot dressed as a lucha libre some look like the revolting blob from billy madison um <laughs> buying a kid a, an fc dallas shirt to buy him a taco and then eat a bigger taco while throwing it on the guy in front of him and people thought that was somehow dunking on fc dallas instead of some cosplay idiot looking like he's probably never touched a woman in his life or a manifest's preference or whoever um you know that's kind of the level right it's like do you want to watch the sport or do you just want to be a bunch of comic book characters oh uh, i 
I uh, I I went on a bit of a rant about the whole thing on an, on the kick around show over the weekend. Yeah, you did. Did I? I, <laughs> I I should have edited that out. I no, it was good. I liked it. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, my point being in all of this is is that it's easy to hate those guys, and and I do, and I'll I'll repeat what I said there uh, here at least in a more brief version. Is my biggest confusion about all of it is is that it turns out that Austin isn't the weird social liberal inclusive community that I once thought it was, and they continue to cosplay as because I still do not understand how that community can embrace such an openly douchey, selfish, awful human being like Anthony Precourt just because he brought a soccer team to town. I mean, I, I, I expected that's I so much. <laughs> that's why I, I expected so much more from Austin, Texas than to yeah. warm embrace that guy. And the biggest piece of evidence of that is the tweet that he sent out with that stupid thing about them being underdogs with all the predictions at the beginning of the season. And he fucking laminated it. And, you know, put it on Twitter and then had the audacity to say something about remember where we come from. Well, I, because I, that is such a slap to the face of all the people in Ohio that he blatantly and just clearly lied to. Well, I have a hot take for you then. Number one, I think that laminated sheet is going to become an all time great MLS meme. And you're going to see that thing thrown back at them for the next. Well, Charlotte already years. did something on it, didn't they? Oh, yeah, there's so many. But. More specifically, I actually love the fact that they're a bunch of prats. If they were a bunch of nice guys that were fun yeah, to hang would, out with, that would be tough, wouldn't with, it? would be really boring. <laughs> you know it's the worst part is fun that they're a bunch of when you're jagos. in that stadium, you, just people you actually speak to, they're bloody lovely. Yeah, it's just That's true. there's a couple of idiots <laughs> that want to be memes. I, I love you, Jono. You know who I you, you know I love Jono. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though, is like I, I actually love the fact that they're like that, that they're the younger brother that can't get over Dallas and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that makes it fun. That's, and FC I mean, Frisco not, wasn't funny when Houston no. started saying it in their downtown stadium, not their stadium that in traffic is nearly two hours outside the fucking stuff downtown. Yeah. I may grant you that it's lame, a lot of it, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not a member of supporters culture. But I love supporters' culture, man. Like all it's, that stuff it's is fun. Is fun to me. So that that stuff is fun when there's like, you know, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you got us. That that's, that makes it fun when it's just like, you're, you're an idiot. You, <laughs> what what are you even doing with your life? That that's just tiresome after a while. Then you're gonna get us hate listens. <laughs> probably i mean i did last time i had an opinion on the bloody know, right? stadium and and whatnot and, yeah. you know i uh, i'm gonna i'm just gonna try to smooth it all out by repeating this we are all better because yeah. austin is here i mean yeah. it just it I'm, is the I'm, truth right yeah, yeah. For sure and, and fair play the better team won um a, a lot of people i met there absolutely wonderful uh you know do do wish them the best i personally don't see a, a rivalry in the same way Houston is because that's something where you know everyone actually hates the city not like you know mocking the the people for being weird characters um 
All right, but, we've, yeah. we've, we've prattled on way too long. <laughs> we've got a couple other things to get into. I do want to talk about the Zanata and Nico end-of-season press conference that you guys have listened to. Anything from there that we need to pass on to the good uh, pod listener? Nothing earth-shaking. Um, you know, when, when guys are in that, when coaches are in, and, um, and technical directors are in those kind of circumstances, they're not going to say anything truly groundbreaking. Uh, they, uh, Steves did confirm the, my Frank O'Hara, uh, summer report. He said specifically June 30 is when his contract got runs out. So my report was hundred percent correct. Um, that I had a couple weeks ago that his contract is the weird one like Vea, Calcos Vea. And, um, uh, aside from that, it was really like, Oh, we're getting ready for this. We're getting rid of that. They said they're ahead of schedule, compared to last year because of, you know, everyone's now here, you know, they already have plans in place, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Nico Estevez had a couple of interesting comments um, about his being, you know, a first year as a head coach um, and, you know, and, and learning from some of his mistakes and his whole staff learning. Um, and, and I took a, one of my big takeaways from, from that comment was I thought I was thinking back to how many times I thought, well, there's a rookie mistake as a head coach. And there were not, very many of them, certainly not compared to Lucci. And so I was thinking about that relative to his, his, in this discussion, he mentioned that he'd been with Greg as an assistant for seven years. And I thought, man, there, there's the difference between Estevez and Lucci is that Lucci had not been an MLS assistant at all, even. And Estevez had been one for seven years. And so he had a leg up on a lot of these things. And yet he also talked about all these things that he learned um, behind the scenes was that you don't know as an assistant, you only know them when you become a head coach. And so I thought that was a fascinating process. And we shouldn't forget, I think that he is a relatively young or head coach. He's not 70, he's 35 or whatever he is, or I don't even think he's, he's younger 40. than Lucci. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is a guy that's going to be learning and improving too, just like the team is. And so I, that actually was a moment that I actually felt really good about, him and he, I think he was half joking but half serious. He said he's going to watch the playoff game against Austin a thousand times in order to try and pick out every tiny little mistake. <laughs> and and he reiterated the idea that he felt like um, that they were intimidated and had not didn't quite have the right mindset. And I think he maybe he, he wasn't quite putting that on himself as, as much as the, on the collective. You know that they just weren't quite up for it in the moment. Um, which I think is true. We discussed that earlier. So those are my big takeaways from the press conference. Uh, again, they didn't say anything profound other than confirming the Frank O'Hara reporting that I had done earlier. Anything from you, Dan? No, I haven't heard it. Uh, oh, I thought you listened to it. I'm nah, sorry. The, the ones I had was, was the ones in person at the game. All right. Anything from the post game that you wanted to talk about since you were down there and all of that? I should have asked you that first. I felt so bad for Paxton. Why? Um, I was talking. I was talking to him a little bit, um, and then did like you know recorded. So um, you know, he was talking about how you know the M- when they had the MRI, there was definitely something on it, but like you know enough that they could work with, and they were working pretty flat out to get him ready for to at least contribute to the game. But um, he said something like, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating you work all all season and then suddenly it happens right in the Minnesota game. You stay fit all that relatively <laughs> fit all that time. And then it, you know, the hamstring goes at the worst possible moment. Um, in that game, uh, he'd, he'd been fine all week. 
uh, he puts the cross in for the goal and he kind of wrecks himself again a little bit. So he was playing hurt for uh, all but five minutes that he actually came on for. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, yes, he'll run himself into the ground for that team. Any other comments or thoughts or reactions or notes only, from the... I mean, I only really spoke to Nico and then uh, I was talking to Dan Hunt for a minute as well, just about... Um, what did Dan have to say? Um, you know, just how proud he is of the team. Um, I was asking him... I was kind of asking his knee-jerk uh, reaction to, you know, his knee-jerk assessment of the season since it was kind of still in that emotional minute. And he was just talking about how just how uh, far ahead of schedule they were that they targeted the playoffs uh, but they didn't expect a home playoff they didn't expect a playoff win hmm. uh, that all the off the off the field stuff is far beyond what they expected with the number of sellouts and uh, he said that they've got a waiting list of suites that the uh, mid-season pickup of uh, season tickets is more than they've ever had uh, that yeah whether it's the marketing efforts or or the quality of soccer that people are people are apparently buying in he didn't overpromise for 23 did he he didn't All promise right. anything see look everything's improved oh uh one other thing um you know i mentioned last week the locker room felt a lot more of a happy cohesive place than our, it did after the 2015 penalty shootout yeah uh, i mentioned that to dan he said well that when they were having their team dinner the previous day drew Keyshawn actually compared the locker room to the 2010 mls cup run oh okay so, wow yeah, drew has been here a long time yeah team chemistry is great right now this this team's as good at team chemistry as i've seen maybe ever it's really good this locker room um, Buzz, do you have an update on uh, your ongoing public battle with the GM <laughs> of North Texas Soccer Club over whether or not they've actually hired somebody as the head coach? Yep, he called me back um, finally, and he left a message because I wasn't able to take his call. But um, he said that in the message, he said that they've down to two or three. This is their official stance. They're down to two or three candidates they're going to interview this week. And Zanata echoed that in the press conference today. Here's the thing. I don't believe them. I I know that they're saying that, and I know that they probably are maybe actually going to interview people, but my insider dirt is that it's already been decided who it is. So, um, Does the, this mean you're going to write it down on a piece no. of paper and seal it in an envelope and give it to somebody, <laughs> a biased source, so that you could prove yeah. that you knew who it was all along? I'll tell you guys, and then you can confirm for me like when it happens whether I was right or not. Now, it could be that my, my now two sources are wrong. That's entirely possible, but um, I'm sticking with my guns that they actually have already got it sewed up. Zanata in the press conference today said that they're doing interviews this week and that they would have an announcement in a month which does not jive with any of the info I'm getting. So, I mean, it could be that all my info I'm getting is wrong, but these are from people that are have been reliable. So this is why we don't report things until we get them really locked down. But You, you know, I think um, having, from, when, from what you've mentioned, it sounds mm -hmm. very much like the first team coach hire last year where there was a process and maybe that process ran parallel to another process. Yeah, to, to Greg Berhalter saying that they should hire Nico. Yeah, 
No, no, before that. Oh, before that, oh. <laughs> yeah. When they hired Lucci. Oh, they hired Lucci. Yeah. yeah, that may be very well true. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we're all on pins and needles, but yeah. don't well, let us down. I know. There's also one more update. Um, somebody in the press conference, um, why you'd use your one question on this, I don't know, asked if there were going to be more signings from North Texas. And Zanata said, or he started to say, yes, there's one more. And then he hesitated, recovered and said, or two, maybe, possibly more. <laughs> so vague (laughs) so yeah no well here's the thing clearly there's one as we've already talked about at multiple times right it's been reported already that fc dallas has purchased uh mulatto the striker from columbia who has the byron connection have they still not officially announced that? they have not announced that it's been reported that bias have been supported he has a long-term deal with fc dallas it's reported that byron has some kind of buy rights you know to him I mean, that's been reported in multiple sources. Now, it's all South American. It's not here in Dallas, you yeah. know, but it's like a foregone thing. So when he said, yeah, there's one more player coming from North Texas, well, obviously it's that guy. And then he caught himself and said, or maybe two or whatever, you know. So he's just trying to cover himself because there are one or two other players down there that might be worth something at some point. You know, Blaine Ferry. Blaine Ferry, if, if I hear that there's an offer in front of him of some kind, I have no idea what it is and whether he'll take it, I don't know. Um, there's Hope Kodzo, uh, or Hope, was it a Revu? How do you say the other name that they, Avier, yeah, he switched last names on me. You know, obviously that's a player for the future. I think one more season down there would be good for him, Hmm. but clearly there's one more coming and it's Bilotto. And then he covered himself and added in or, or two maybe, or, you know, obviously something could happen, but that's what it is. But we're not at a point where we need to wonder if Zanata is actually doing the real work that anybody is really interested in, which is, are you signing somebody? Are you, where's the Mm. next Velasco? Where's the next Areola or Legette? Who's replacing Hara kind of stuff, right? Yeah, No, no, they should be well into that. Um, They should have been doing that all year long. Like you, if you're a coaching staff with your salt, you will have an technical staff. You will have had all season, this idea about where you're going the next off season. Right. And you'll have been working on it and scouting on it. And more than likely you might have guys already lined up ready to sign, maybe not on a pre-contract deal like they did with Frank O'Hara, but maybe like all but that in name ready to go. And they did say, for example, they said that now the very first thing that happened is all of their scouting influence will shift to that. Like up until now, the coaching staff has mostly been, has been had a greater percentage on the season and now those guys, Nico and his guys, will all switch over 100% to working with him. You know, so not that they weren't already working with him, but 100% working with him on that phase of who are we going to replace. Now they have to do the contracts, they have to do the expansion draft, they have to do a couple other things. But um, you know, they're already well, well into that, or they should be well, well into that. And, uh, there was one very interesting phraseology like i try i I like to try and read into the way people answer questions read between the lines and somebody asked him about it was when they asked about the frank o'hara contract situation and somebody i think it was even boggart said you know is he going to be a dp uh, for that scenario and zanata's answer wasn't about yes or no he could be a dp he said we haven't met with the players to give them their end of season news yet. And then nothing about <laughs> contracts. Right. Well, he asked him about Frank O'Hara. Is he going to be a DP? And he says, we haven't met with him yet. We haven't met with the patient right. about their cancer yeah. results. Yeah. So, so it's supposed to be locker clean out days. So <laughs> yeah. That, that does make sense. So, so not, not like, 
oh, we need to work with Franco's, you know, contract and get it to a way. It's like we haven't communicated with him and his agent. And I was like, well, that's that's different than what he asked. He asked you. So I was in, in, my, in my deep inside, I was like crossing my fingers. Please say buyout. Please say buyout. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, my gut instinct is they know there's an out now on the back end of his deal. And as we've explained, his his cap number of th- roughly three million, some of that is front loaded bonus money. So his actual salary is two for a whole season. Therefore, half a season should be one. Therefore, he could not be a DP. You could tam him down. And he won't be a DP. So if you want the DP to be open, you all next and not, year and not release him by buying him out. Yeah, you don't even have to buy him out. You just have to eat five hundred thousand on the cap yeah. and the tam it takes to buy him down. Just like you're going to buy down Hedges or buy down Martinez. Like so, you you can open it or you should have a DP spot open. Now, do I think that Dallas will burn it this winter? No, I think they'll sit on it because I think they'll wait because that's the way Dallas does things. But um, you know, the, we'll get into all the roster stuff later, but it did it jump out at me that he specifically said, we haven't met with Franco yet. Not, not something like, Oh, he's going to be on the roster for, you know, whatever he could have said, you know, he, it's just reading between the lines, dumbness, but sometimes things like that make my ears perk up when they answer the question, the way they answer it, you know, clearly his mind was thinking about something other than the actual answer, which is, is he going to be a DP or not? Right. That's the way I took it. So. And then the final thing for the episode today is the insane news that The Athletic reported yesterday, last night, uh, which is MLS once again appears to be wanting to monkey around with their playoff format for next year. Now, Buzz, because I know you uh, have your own professional uh, ties to all of this, this is all exclusively glued to the new Apple TV deal. You just know Apple's like, okay, wait a second. Yep. We got to figure out a way to re- generate even more revenue. So how about you figure out a better uh, a, a, a playoff system that suits us better if it also, even if it, at the same time, it reduces the value of your regular season and makes all your fans nuts. Yeah, playoff games for broadcasters are very important. They want more playoff games. It's why the NBA has... You know, the, so as many rounds as they do, the, like with eight teams getting in in each conference, it's why they play seven game series. It's why baseball has added the wild card round. It's why the NFL has the wild card round. It's like the more more playoff games is better. So the same holds true for MLS. So they're trying to figure out. I think universally, I feel like most fans seem to be enjoying the single game knockout. I think I certainly do. You know, when they have the two leg things, the first game is almost always a real stinker. But, um, you know, networks love that playoff stuff. So that's all this is about is how do we get more playoff games for the league? That's it. All right. So the way if you haven't read the article, the way they're talking about doing this is still retaining the 16 playoff teams, eight from each conference and then breaking up in each conference uh, those eight teams into f- two groups of four, right? Am I saying this right? And then oh. so, yeah, ultimately across the entire tournament, there'll be four groups of four broken up by conference, and then they'll play a round-robin set of games within each of those groups. It's essentially a World Cup tournament is what they're Just trying the to do. It's the League's Cup. It's the League's Cup. Yes, this was the other point. So now they're going to increase. So if they had 13 playoff games this year, this will be 30 playoff games. Yeah. And I, I and I just don't I mean I I I don't know why 
they think this is a good idea. And and when you really go back, it was a really funny thread uh, going on on Twitter today. Steve Davis and some other guys were on it, and somebody actually uh, wrote it all out. All the different iterations and playoff formats this league has had in its 20, what, seven years yeah. is really pretty mind-boggling. Do you remember back and Steve Davis is the one that reminded me of, of this. I had totally forgotten. Do you remember the the best of three, but actually first to five points format? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And how insanely crazy that made everybody. Yeah. And there was even like game threes that would then go to overtime. And then like it was just it had nuts. a mini game, like a mini yeah, fourth mini game. game. Yeah. 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 The the funny part was for me was that I, I remember distinctly in the Colin Clerk era that MLS discussed this idea, this this World Cup style playoff idea. They oh, were really yeah. Clark and I had a conversation about it. He said, you know, the the because basically he at the time there was not really technical directors, so it was basically him and the Hunts basically talking about this concept in terms of they were looking to get from Steve and from Morrow like their thoughts about it. So Clark asked me about it after training. And so we kicked around the idea for like 10 minutes, not like that I or he had any real input. I mean, obviously that thing's kind of stuff's decided on an ownership level, but right. um, it was a hundred percent up for discussion in like the, that would be the early 2000s, like 2004, 2005 kind of era. They considered this idea, this World Cup playoff idea, and discarded it. They chose not to do it at the time. They switched to something else. I don't remember what it was. I think it was just home and away, I think. But um, it's come up before. So, like, this is the second time around for them considering this idea. Um, you know, it's about getting those 30 games. That's the thing. They want to double the amount of games, basically, in the playoffs. So, good luck. Well, I don't know how they're going to pull this off because they say that if you're the top, if you're the higher two seeds in the group, you get two home games versus one road game. And I don't know how that works in a group of four. I'm not sure. I haven't sat down and figured that out, but that doesn't look like that's possible in my head. But I'm sure they've sorted it all out and they haven't even officially decided to do it. Uh, apparently, it's been, uh, according to the athletic, it's something they've been talking about as going back as long as the beginning of the summer. So um, I, I guess we'll find out soon. But well, that, part of me thinks that this is what happens when people that don't grow up with the game are trying to make decisions about the game because they see how successful the World Cup is and says, well, why don't we do that? Uh, you know, that's the way you get the conversation. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it's. I'm very much looking forward to the Apple TV deal, and I'm also really, really worried about it all at the same time, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. You should be worried about it because behind the scenes, it's a mess. Yeah. Well, I know that to be true. I've heard so many <laughs> hair-raising <Yeah>. stories <laughs> about how far behind they are and how much they ha still don't know to this date. Yeah, um, they don't I, know. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the biggest ones still hanging out there are what are they going to charge people for it? That's the one to me that is the most curious and mysterious out of all of this, which is yeah, how much are you going to charge the average MLS fan that doesn't have season tickets access to this platform? Because I don't know how you're going to make enough money if you charge it for an amount that I think people will be willing to spend on it. Yeah, that's a good question. That is the, that's the question yeah. these days. Well, I'm sure we'll find out more. I mean, All for right. every streaming service, that's the question these days. Uh, anything else? We have gone very long on this uh, on this episode. Anything else? Uh, not really. I mean, with if if you're dying for some FC Dallas soccer action, basically your only resource right now is going to be the academy because North Texas and um, and FC Dallas are done. Although, funny enough, North Texas scrimmaged today. They had. A <laughs> 
This is the kind of thing that makes me laugh so much. They they had to open tryouts earlier this week. And so effectively what they have done is they've invited a certain amount of people to stick around and play in a scrimmage. I don't know who they played, but um, to me it was hysterical because they, they listed on Twitter. They started tweeting out, hey, we've got a scrimmage today. Here's the lineup. And the lineup is trialist, trialist, one at North Texas player. They list his name. Trialist, trialist, two more names. Trialist, Hope Oveyu, trialist, trialist. So, like, there are four actual players you've heard of and ten trialists. And then as they would sub in, trialist number 11, trialist number 12, academy number one, academy number... And it's like, that just put some names on here. Certainly from the academy players, you could have done that. And we have no idea who they played. So, you know, it's they just... Re- DKSC a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? They did, but, like, why are you even bothered to tweet this thing if you're not actually going to yeah. tell us anything about it? It's so weird to me. They ended up winning 3-2 <laughs> if you care. <laughs> this is such a weird thing. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. I don't know. That's uh, that, that's way beyond uh, my pay grade, Buzz. That's, yeah, that's I for don't, you. I don't... You know, to, to, not an, to have a scrimmage and not announce it and then just tweet all about it with trialist, 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 it's like this doesn't help anybody. Just don't bother. Just treat the results. Could you people uh, up at the front office stop pissing off Buzz, please? Yeah, it's just... Buzz, can you stop pissing off the people at the front office, please? Sorry. Yeah. Well, we've been very fair this year with how many great stuff they're doing, all the great things they're doing. They can handle it if if we point out one or two things that they are not doing that great. Uh, Yes, we even gave them credit for the giant taco. Or if we think that they're just talking out their booties about who they hired or not. Right. Okay. Restraint. Restraint. Everybody, it's Buzz reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. Make sure and show them some love. They are the World Cup source. It's right around the corner. Soccer 90 has got everything you want for the U.S. national team. Jerseys, scarves, all the gear, all the tees. You can shop their entire World Cup collection. they got 14 nations representative. Cheer for whoever you want, along with the U.S., Get ready for the games in Qatar. And remember, if you like this podcast, if you listen to this podcast, 20% off when you purchase at Soccernati.com. Use the code THIRDDEGREE at checkout. Some exclusions do apply. Okay. Well, Dan, thank you, sir. I appreciate you going down and uh, covering the game in person for us. Thank you. And thank you, Buzz. Oh, you're welcome, Peter. Thank you for being our awesome host. No. It's my joy. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. What a great season. Thanks for listening all season. We'll be back next week with another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Stop fucking around with the playoff format. Ooh. Woo. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Podcast. Twenty-five, twenty-five long hard years, yeah. Was Carrick, yeah, the man, man. Twenty-five years, you better be giving this man at least five dollars a month. Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much. Hey, come on, it's third degree or bust, yes. Give the man some motherfucking money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never.